19. We're studying through the book of Psalms. <coughs> and um, this is one we're in this morning. Continuing through. All right, let's read. Let's read the inscription. I'm going to read the inscription because it really is important to this. It, the inscription, like I said before, is a part of the original text. Um, verses 1 through 18. I'll read if you want to follow along. It says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day, here it goes, on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of Saul and all of his enemies and from the hand of, or excuse me, from, delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, I will, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield in the horn of my salvation and stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The pangs of death surrounded me and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me, and the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to God, and he heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him, even to his ears. Then, verse 7, the earth shook and trembled, and the foundations of the hills also quaked and were shaken, because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils, and devouring fire from his mouth, coals were kindled by it. He bowed he bowed the heavens also and, and, and came down with darkness under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and flew his, his, he flew upon the wings of the wind and he made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of skies. And from the brightness before him, his thick cloud passed with hailstones and coals of fire. Man, that's, that's a... That's a uh, a dreadful image that's being planted there, and you, you, you wouldn't want to be on, on the receiving end of that. And so in verse 13, the Lord thundered from heaven, it says, and the Most High uttered his voice, and hailstones and coals of fire, and he sent out his arrows and scattered the foe, lightnings in abundance, and, his, and he vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were uncovered. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of your breath, the breath of your nostrils. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. And Father, just like David declared there that you were his support, we too can declare the same thing. You're our support. Lord, you're our, you're our everything and, 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 and our all in all. And Lord, as we study through your word this morning, Father, I pray, God, that you would strengthen us in the knowledge of who you are. And as this awesome song of praise that David wrote in response to the, the deliverance that you brought into his life, Lord, uh, I pray, God, that we too would sing that same song of praise. And Lord, you've given us great deliverance from our sin, from death. 
um, from our eternal destination of hell that we were deserving. You delivered us from that, and you put a, a, a song of praise, a joy in our heart, Lord. And you continue to do this work of delivering every day in our lives, Lord. May we see that hand working, your hand working in our lives. May, may the, the words that flow from our, our, our heart, Lord, be the same as David, is these, these awesome words of praise and worship. Lord, help us to understand what you speak to us this morning through your Spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, like I already mentioned, the prayer, I think, is very, very evident by what we read in these first 18 verses of this psalm, that it is a song of praise. And when we, when we look back to the inscription that we read, we see that it was written by David to God on the day that um, the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the, the hand of Saul. Um, I'm going to stop real quick. Josh, will you start that clock for me back there, that timer? Make sure that the, the beeper is off too, please, because when I go long and it beeps, then people won't know that I've gone long. All right. Now, there's another version of this psalm in Scripture, and you, you can turn there and look if you want. It's, it's, it's almost verbatim the same thing, and it's in 2 Samuel chapter 22. And, and this is where we find the historical account, the historical context, context for what motive, motivated David to write this song of praise. And it's, it's a really cool thing. And, and, and listen, the events that are leading up um, to David writing this, this psalm is recorded in the chapter before that, 2 Samuel chapter 21. And, and what we realize when we read through 2 Samuel chapter 21 is that the time frame for these events actually, was actually near the end of David's life, long after the death of Saul, and, and many years after David had already been ruling over the king of, of Israel. And so we might wonder, why would David write that psalm at this time, this psalm at that time of his life? And, 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 and what we see is that the reason, when we, when we study it, we see the reason for why David wrote this song to God and declared it to be on the day that the Lord had delivered him from all of his enemies and delivered him from the hand of Saul um, even though it was so many years later, is due to the fact that 2 Samuel chapter 21 records the death of the remaining descendants of King Saul. And the death, here's the other cool thing, of the, the four Philistine giants who were the, the sons of Goliath. And we know that, that David had killed Goliath, and, and Goliath's sons were the sworn enemies of David. And in light of these things, David wrote this song of praise, declaring that God had delivered him from the hand of his enemies and from the hand of Saul, because with the death of Saul's male descendants and with the death of the sons of Goliath, right, it meant that David had finally been delivered from any potential threats that could come from the house of Saul or come from the sons of Goliath, and both who would have been looking to avenge their fathers, right? And consequently, this word deliver which is a reoccurring theme through this psalm, um, is, found, is, in, is found in the description as well as five other times in this psalm. It's a long psalm, I get it, but there's, let's, let's, I'll point them out to you. First, in, we, twice in the verses that we already read, verse 2 and verse 17, and then, and then the very next verse, verse 19, which we haven't read yet, again is this, this word deliver, and then later on in the psalm, verse 43 and verse 48. Now, the cool thing about this psalm is that it's a blend of worship and witness. 
And really, that's what our worship is. Our, our worship is motivated by what God's done in our lives. And when we, when we bear witness of that to others around us, it's an act of worship. We're glorifying God. We're praising God as we're telling people about what God has done for us in our, long, in our lives. Ultimately, how God's delivered us. And that's what we see David doing. He's worshiping and he's witnessing, meaning in this psalm, there's portions, or literally the song of praise, there are portions of it that are addressed to God, and there are portions of this song where David is telling the people about what God had done for him. But the overall focus of this psalm is on the Lord. Over and over again, Jehovah, 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 the Lord. And and what and, 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 and specifically in what he had graciously done for David, and David refers to him as his servant, David as his servant, but also tells for us of what God can, and listen, we talked about this last week, not only what God can do, but what God's willing to do, what God wants to do for whoever will put their trust in him and live their lives according to his will, submit to his lordship, Right? In the light of this, we can see that this psalm, if you want to kind of break it down with me, it can be divided into four specific sections. This first section is verses 1 through 18, which we already read. And, and, and in these first verses, we're told how God delivers when we call upon him, how God will deliver when we call upon him. And then in verses 19 through 27, it tells us about the rewards that God pours out upon people who live in obedience to him, Okay how God will deliver, how God will bless. And then in verses 28 through 45, where David speaks about how God equips us when we submit to him. How God will equip us when we submit to him. And then the last section that David writes to us about is in verses 46 through 50, which examples how God is glorified when we worship him, how God is literally enthroned when we worship him, enthroned in our lives, enthroned in the lives of people around us when they see that he's our Lord, that he's our king. And so in these first verses, if you want to jump back to the beginning, you might have to turn your page back. I do, verse 1. If we look back to verse 1, we see that David begins this song of praise with a declaration, literally an expression of his love for the Lord, right? And in doing so, the Hebrew word for love that David used here is an uncommon word. It's the word racham. And, and it is a word that means to love deeply, to have tender affection. And, and, and the uniqueness of this word is seen as it's related, it's related to the womb, okay? And, and, and what I mean by that is it's used to describe this kind of, of love that a parent has for their, their child or the kind of love that a child has for their parent. And I'm sure that David's expression here, as he expressed his love, it was done so in this way with this word, this word racham, because David saw himself in a blessed position, right? In a favored position as a child of God. It's like, I will love you. You're my dad, right? Abba, Father. And, and, and that sets the stage for this. And David's declaration of this, I will love you. I will love you. At the beginning of this song, um, it was made, as we read here, it was made, and look back to 2 Samuel chapter 22 and 21, it was made in this time of great triumph, right? 
in a, from a place of, of being in victory. And it sets the stage for the rest of this psalm. But as we read on, we should notice, guys, pay attention to these words. These words are, are key that are in here. And we don't just want to gloss over them because we see that David's love was not the only thing that he declared in these first verses. Look at verse 2. We also see that David was declaring or expressing his faith in God. So he was declaring his love, I will love you, but he also declared his faith in God when he said this, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust. And David, David's speaking in these absolute, clear and concise words as he makes these declarations. I will love you. I will trust you. And then in verse 3, David also expressed his hope in God, who is ultimately, he says, worthy to be praised when he declared that this, so shall I be saved from my enemies. Faith, or, or, or we have love, faith, and hope. And in light of these three declarations, David, David makes here, once again, we see how that these, these, these Christian virtues, right? Faith, love, and hope are so tightly woven together. And like the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, at the end of the, the, the love chapter, right? He says that when all else fails, what? Faith, hope, and love remain. And, and because of this, guys, our pursuit of them are, is vital. Our pursuit of faith, hope, and love is vital. And this truth is emphasized all throughout the New Testament in passages of Scripture like 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. Listen, the Apostle Paul writes this about the Thessalonians. He says, remembering, he says, I'm remembering you. He says, I'm remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. And he goes on a little bit further on in chapter 5, verse 8 of that same book, 1 Thessalonians, and says this, but let us who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Also in Galatians chapter 5, verses 5 through 6, it says, For we, through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by Faith, for in Christ Jesus there is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. It, it doesn't avail anything, but this is what avails. This is what profits, the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians. Faith working through love. Faith, hope, and love. Again. And, 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 and also the Apostle Peter, he writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. He said, he said who we, or, or who through him, Believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave glory to him so, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. One more. Also in Colossians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says this. Since starts off with sense. Since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus Christ, and of your love for the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before 
in the word of truth, in the gospel. And I read all these things in light of what David speaks to us here in this, in this song of praise to God, because the point is, is that like David declares in these first verses of this psalm, guys, our faith, our hope, our love needs to be at the very center of our relationship with God. And they need to be um, what our Christian life is focused upon. These three remain. These three abide. Now back in verse 2, if you look here with me as we continue through this psalm, with that stage being set, there are multiple metaphors, words that are used to describe by David who his God is, the one in whom he loved, the one in whom he had put his faith and his hope in. And he said, he said, the Lord is first my rock. And we get the imagery right there, something secure. He's my fortress, my shield, the horn of my salvation. And all of these words describe protection, right? Strength, stability. And, and, and literally, more specifically, not in just a, an, 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 any kind of way, but a, a specific way in that David had found these things when he called upon God in his time of need. He's my strength. He's my stability. He's my protection. And this is what David was putting his hope and his faith in. And this is the kind of God, guys, this is the kind of God, the one true God who is worthy, is he not? Worthy of our prayers. Worthy of our praise. And so after expressing his devotion here, David then goes on quickly into verses 4 and 6 and shifts gears and begins to describe this distress that he had faced. And in doing so, he twice, in verses 4 through 6, he twice pictured himself like he had, even in Psalm 17, as a man who had been surrounded on every side, right? In other words, David was explaining by his own admission that there was no way for him in his own strength, no way for him in his own understanding, no way for him in his own resources to make some kind of escape. And in one sense, we can, we, we, we can, we can hear David like describing the distress. We can almost feel it as he, as he writes about it, like being trapped, right? Being caught in a trap, being bound with cords, or, or, or being thrown into the water to drown when he describes this flooding experience that was taking place as a result of his enemies. But when he called out in faith, he says God began to act on his behalf. And in verses 7 through 18, in the last part of this first verses that we read of this psalm, David then describes this deliverance. You know, and think about that again with the type of word that David used to describe this love that he had for God, that how he will love him as a son, right? Calling upon him as a father. And it's almost like, it's like, you don't want to mess with me because you don't know my dad, you know? And then he describes him. He describes the majesty, the power, right? He describes this deliverance that he had found and he likens it to this like devastating storm that shook the earth. It started fires. It blew in thick clouds of dark, uh, 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 thick clouds full of dark water, hailstones and coals of fire and thunderings and lightnings in order as verse 17 says, what? What was the result of that? What was the purpose of that? To deliver. 
to deliver him from his strong enemy, from those who hated him. Guys, the point is this. The point is that God had been long-suffering with Saul. Remember the context. He had been long-suffering with Saul. He had been long-suffering with David's other enemies for, for many, many, many years. But there came a time when God's righteous anger that we read about here began to shake things. And it began to shake things up like a destructive storm would do. The result of which is partially described in 2 Samuel chapter 21. I encourage you to go read that on your own this week. And in that chapter, David's enemies were falling in defeat while he stood firm. Think about that. In the midst of the storm, his enemies were falling, but he stood firm. He stood firm. Guys, we're in a storm. God's shaking things up in the very same ways that we're reading here. And we can rest assured that when others are falling under the weight of this storm, we will be made to stand firm. We will stand. And the result of this that we read in David's life is that he was now the king of Israel. And after 10 years of exile, he had... Had, after that had ended, we know that David's life had been sustained by God. And the things that God had called David to, the things that God had appointed David for, had now been set before him. He had entered into them. And God, who is faithful to his promise, was now rewarding David for his obedience, right? And this is what David went on to speak about in the next set of verses, starting in verse 19 on through verse 27. I'll read these, follow along. He said in verse 19, he also brought me, he said, out into a broad place. So he, 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 he caused his enemies to fall, but he said he caused me to stand. He brought me to what? A broad place. And he delivered me because, I love this, he delighted in me. Again, in the same sense, like a father delights in his son or in his daughter. He delighted in me. The Lord, David literally says it, the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, and he recompensed me for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not done wickedly, departed from God, and have not wickedly departed from God for all of his judgments were before me and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also blameless before him and I kept myself from my iniquity." Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me. He has paid me, literally, right? According to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands and in his sight. With the, with the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, with the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. For you will save the humble people but you will bring down the haughty looks. Remember, David had re repeatedly spoken of how he'd been surrounded, right? In a tight spot, nothing he could do on his own, literally caught in a snare. But in these verses, we see that once the storm was over, David found himself in a broad place. He wasn't in that trap. He had been delivered from something that he thought was impossible to be delivered from. The place where David said he was literally being rewarded according to his righteousness. And, and I want to clear up something because we talked about this a little bit last week so we don't get any misunderstanding. But in the previous psalm, as we talked about this 
this righteousness or this blameless. It didn't mean, it didn't mean that David believed that he was perfect. It didn't believe that, mean that David believed that he was without sin. That's not what we're being told here. What we're told is that David, what David meant was that, um, well, it's, it's best defined as this. David is categorized, or, or we know David as, as far as what Scripture tells us, right, as a man who is after God's own heart, right? And what that means is that he sought to obey God. He sought to do the right thing, but when he did sin, he repented, right? That's what a man or a woman after God's heart does. When you sin, you repent. You seek to make right the wrong that you've done, and that's what David did. And in doing so, he turned back to God. He may have stumbled, he may have fell, but he always turned back to God. God who was merciful, what David speaks here. So when David said in verse 19, look here, when he said that he delivered me because God delighted in me, we can understand that was probably, probably the, the way that we as parents delight in our children, right? Think about that for just a second. Meaning we delight in our children, right guys, in spite of their perfections. We delight in our children in spite of those times when they sin or rebel or disobey us because we see this. We see that they're growing, right? We see that they're growing and maturing in character and in obedience. And that's what David's writing about here. And so even though David was not perfect, he was faithful to God during the difficult circumstances of his exile. We look back through the book of Samuel and 1 Chronicles, and we read this and see this to be true. He was not perfect, but he was faithful to God during those years of exile. And he points this out. He references this specifically in verses 20 through 24. And according to verses 25 through 29, as we, as we read on, actually verses 25 through 27, David said this is the why, this is why God had faithfully cared for him. The point is, listen, this is so key in our Christian relationship with God and with others. The way that we relate to God and, 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 and relate to others determines the way that God relates to us. Did you know that? In part. The way that we relate to God, our relationship to God, and our relationship to others is, is somewhat how God relates to us. This is what I mean. It's a principle that is spoken of in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In fact, even in the Lord's Prayer, right? that is recorded in Matthew chapter 6, we're instructed to pray. We're taught how to pray. And in that prayer, we're told to ask for our forgiveness, right? And for it to be given to us in the same manner that we've forgiven others, right? Do you think about that when you, when you pray that way? That's a pretty powerful thing. Lord, forgive me like I've forgiven others. Well, maybe not. <laughs> Lord, be gracious and merciful because sometimes... You know, we want, we want something more. But the, the point is, 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 is God sees that. And in Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 38, Jesus said this also. He says, judge not, and you shall not be judged. So the way we relate to others is, he's saying, is somewhat how God's going to relate to us. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, and it will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, 
it will be measured back to you. And this is the principles that David is speaking about when he's going before God now. And the point is, is that David had been merciful to others during this time of his life. There were other times when he wasn't, but the ones that he's referring to, right, we always go before Dad. Hey, Dad, did you see that? That's pretty good, huh? And that's okay. And, and, and he had been merciful to others. And God was merciful to David. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Furthermore, David had been loyal and faithful to God during that time, which verse 25, that's what it's speaking about when he uses the word here, blameless. Consequently, God was faithful to David, and he kept his promises to bless David. And even though David wasn't sinless, he was pure in heart, a man after God's own heart, meaning he was dedicated to God, and he confessed his sins and repented of them when he committed them. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Jesus also said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. But in contrast to David, as he points it out here, we'll look at the life of Saul. On the contrary, Saul, what we know is, as David says here, he, he speaks about those who are being devious. Saul had been devious in his dealings with God and in his dealings with David and, and with the people of Israel, even as the king. And he too was repaid, as you look at Scripture, in a like manner. In fact, at the end of verse 26, David said about God, you will be devious with, or excuse me, with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. Again, that's a, that's a word that we don't often read in Scripture. And when you look to the, to, the, to, the, to the Hebrew, that Hebrew word is pathal. And it means, it means this, to show yourself forward. Think about that, guys, when you square up on someone, right? Come on, right? You show yourself to be forward. That's the language that with this word, you show yourself to be shrewd. God's showing himself, boom, right there. And literally with that, it means to twist or to wrestle. It's like God's, with the, with the devious, God says, I'm coming full face to you, and you're going to get it. And we're going to wrestle. We're going to wrestle. In other words, what we're being told is that even though it may seem like the wicked is, are, are prospering at times because, man, I look at the world around me right now, and, and, and if I keep my eyes, if I get my eyes off of God, off of his words of truth, off of his promise, I look at the world around me and I go, they're winning. What is going on? Right? And it can, it can appear like that at times. And even though it may seem like the wicked wicked are prospering, the fact of the matter is that God does not bless those who are devious or those who are perverse. Rather, what he's doing is he's wrestling with them. In that time when they're being allowed to go forth with their evil acts, there was many times, I'm sure, where David in those 10 years of wandering in the wilderness, running from Saul, when Saul had been dethroned in the eyes of God, but yet allowed to stay on the throne and somewhat prosper, even though David had the anointing. I'm sure we know that Joab, his, his commander was, many times like, David, come on. And I'm sure David was probably like, God, what's going on? You made these promises to me. Saul's prospering. I'm living in a cave. But what we know is that God was wrestling with Saul. He was wrestling with him. And, and he wrestles 
much like God had wrestled with Jacob, right, back in, in chapter 32 of Genesis. And God was wrestling with Jacob then, and he wrestles with wicked people today, and, and, and evil people today, and, and, and in, their in, in their deception, and he does so because he wants to bring them to the place of repentance. This word shrewd, dealing with the one who is devious, is not an act of destruction. It's like, let me bring you into submission. Has God ever wrestled with you? Have you ever wrestled with God? Yeah, I think we all have. Right? And man, God's gonna, God will put us in a headlock, in love. And he does that with even our enemies, whom he loves. Because he wants people to come to the place of repentance. Paul says it's, it's his will, God's will, that none should perish. That none should perish. I mean, that's just a hard thing to, to remember when your enemies are doing evil, when there's evil going on. And the bottom line is that we can rest in the fact that God's character, guys, in these moments, when we don't, when we don't see God's hand working in a way that we think that it should be going on, we can trust that God's character and God's covenants to us never change. But the way that God will deal with us, guys, here's, the, here's where it comes to our own lives. The way that God will deal with us is determined by the condition of our hearts. And I think that's why David makes these very profound declarations. I will, I will, I will. It's a choice. It's a decision that he's saying he's entering into. It's not just based upon feelings. In spite of my feelings, I will. And it reveals a condition of heart, and God deals with us according to the condition of our heart. And if we desire for God to reward us according to his promises to us, then we must have a heart that is in love with him. We must have a heart that is submitted to him as we live, as the Bible teaches us, in obedience to him. If not, the other option is to spend some time wrestling with God. The bottom line is God is going to have his way. And either we will be brought into submission or we can submit ourselves to him. And when we submit ourselves to God, then we're in the place where God equips us. And in verses 28 through 45, I'm not going to, uh, uh, well, yeah, I'm going to read some of that. David tells us how God had equipped him. Look at verse 31, right? He says, for, for, for who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and sets me on high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You, verse 35, he says, also given me a shield of your salvation and your right hand has upheld me. Your gentleness has made me great. You enlarge my path under me so that my feet did not slip. God equips us when we submit to him. And the truth is, is that during that 10 years of exile for David, when he was fleeing for his life, having to live in the caves of the wilderness, God was accomplishing his work. God was accomplishing his work in the, in the, in the nation of Israel and in the life of David. God was doing his good work. He was being equipped, or he was equipping. And to begin with, by allowing for, for Saul to reign as king, God was disciplining his people for running ahead of him, right? Do you remember how they got Saul for a king? 
It says that they looked around to all the nations and said, wow, we want a king just like everybody else. All these evil, pagan, idolatrous nations. And they said, we want to be like them. We don't want you to be our, our king anymore, God. We don't, want, we don't want the people, that these judges, to rule over us that God ruled through. He said, we want, we want to have kings. And so they got Saul. And God's all like, if, okay, you're not going to like it, but here you go. And God was using Saul to discipline his people for running ahead of him and for rejecting the prophet Samuel by making Saul their king. And, and, and they really, they, they appointed him for, them, for themselves. And, and so by allowing for Saul to reign, as long as he did, God was permitting the people to reap the fruit of their rebellion. Have you ever had God do that for you? Let you reap the fruit of your rebellion. Oh, yeah. And it's a thing of discipline. It's a, it's a, it's a thing of love. But in addition to, these, these, addition to this, during these years of David's exile, God was also being long-suffering towards Saul, right? As we already talked about, giving Saul opportunities to repent. But more importantly, God was equipping David for these years when he would be king. And even though these years of preparation for David were long and, and, and difficult years, they were necessary. And this time of equipping was not something that was and is exclusive to David. In fact, guys, this is something that God does with everyone that he's planning on using for his kingdom, for his purposes, his servants. Remember, for Joseph, it was 13 years. Joseph, who was... who. who, who <laughs> Well, we don't say he didn't do anything wrong, but he, you know, his brothers betrayed him, threw him in a pit, sold him as a slave. He was in prison and in the house of Pharaoh for 13 years. For Moses and Joshua, it was 40 years. Time of equipping, 40 years. In the light of this, we can rest assured that the difficult times that we go through today is God preparing us and equipping us for the work that he has for us in the future. And even though it may seem painful and unpleasant in the moment, there will be a time, guys, guaranteed that when we, like David did here, that when we will realize that it was, it was, that God was, we'll realize what God was doing. And we'll look at that time of difficulty as we look back on it, and we will sing songs of praise, going, God, you were doing so many good things. I couldn't see it then, but I see it now. Thank you, God. Praise you. And we will, give, we will give worship and we will bear witness. And you probably had times in your life like that. And rest assured, there will be times of like that, like that to come. Now, the image that David uses in these verses to describe what God had done, it, it reveals that God was developing David into this great warrior, right? As David speaks about it but also into a compassionate leader, a godly man, a great warrior, a, a compassionate leader, and a godly man. However, in verse 30, look at verse 30. David speaks again about trusting in God. And he says that it was because he had trusted in God during those difficult years of his life that God had enabled him. Why? To do these things. Because he trusted in God, God enabled him to run, to leap, to fight, to defeat the enemy. And he could run through a troop, he could scale a wall, or he could leap up uh, like a deer up a mountain. And the point is, is that none of this equipping, think about this, none of this equipping would have been possible if David had not submitted himself to God. And I point this out because the truth of the matter is, is that rather than submitting to God in the midst of, of difficult times, think about that for just a second, rather than submitting to God in difficult times, the truth is, is that we often do everything in our power to escape those difficult things, right? Right? 
Rather than embrace him, we run away. We figure out, how can I get out of this? What can I do to escape? But if we accept our situation, okay, if you accept the situation for what it is, knowing that God is still God by placing our faith, our hope, our love, I will put my trust in you. I will put my hope in you. I will love you. If we do this in those times, we can rest assured that God will provide for us in all of our needs. He will be our rock. He will be our strength. He will grow us into the men and women that he desires us to be. And when this happens, we will have plenty of reasons to worship God, just like David did in these final verses. In verse 46, look, it says, in verse 46 to the psalm, he says, the Lord lives. I could do, I could do like an, a, a five hours on that one little statement, the Lord lives. But I only got nine minutes. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let the, let the God of my salvation be exalted. It is God who avenges me and subdues the peoples under me. He delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me above those who rise against me. I love that because remember the imagery that David had before is like they're flooding up around me. I'm, I'm drowning because of these evil people and the things that they're doing. He's all, you lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. Great deliverance he gives to his king and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forevermore. If the worship team wants to come up, I'm going to end with this. I love, I love the fact that David here begins to praise and worship God and the very first thing that he does in doing so is proclaim the fact that God is alive, that the Lord lives. Jehovah, the one true God, lives. And David is not speaking this, um, this, he's speaking this truth as we read this psalm based upon his experience, based upon his interaction with God. And I think this is a wonderful thing to be aware of, guys, because there is nothing better than when our loving and sovereign and all-powerful God steps into our lives. When his hand enters into our world in an intimate and personal way to reveal himself to us, to show himself to be strong on our behalf. To know that the Lord lives and that he is, he is willing to do his good work in the midst of our lives. To say to others, he's alive. How do you know that? Because of what he's done for me. To know that the Lord sees what we're going through. He's alive. He knows what I'm going through. To know that he hears and is listening to our prayers. He's alive because he answers my requests. He, he, he's alive. And there's no doubt that David experienced God in these ways. And this, this is what brought forth these, this, this song of praise and these words of worship. And I pray this morning that it would be true in our own lives. That we would see and know beyond a shadow of doubt that the Lord lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, that you have made yourself known to us and you continue to do so every day. I think about the psalmist who said that he would have lost hope 
if he had not seen your hand working in the land of the living, in our lives, in our world. And Lord, we need that today. I know, God, that there are people here this morning, Lord, who are discouraged, who are feeling um, defeated and beaten down with certain things going on in their lives. And it doesn't have to be the whole life, Lord. You know it can even be just one area of our life where we feel like there's no hope, that the, the enemy's prevailing whether it's Satan himself or, 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 or evil people in this world, Lord. We feel like we're drowning or flooding, but God, we know that you can intervene. And we ask, God, that you would step in. First of all, Lord, to give us the faith as we wait on you to do your work, knowing that you're doing a good work, knowing that you're, you're wrestling with us, Lord, if we need, to be, we need to be brought into submission, that you're wrestling with those who are even against us and against you, Lord, whom you love. And, and we can patiently uh, join with you, Lord, because you're long-suffering in the work that you're going to do as we trust in your promises. But ultimately, God, what we need is we need to see your, you in our lives today, in our world today. So, Lord, give us the eyes to see that. Lord, the, the discernment to know, to go, oh, that was God. You're here. This is what you're doing. To know that you hear us. Lord, because there's great hope and encouragement from that. And so today, Lord, we worship you and we give you praise for who you are. And we ask all these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Will you stand?